All right, so we are in James uh, chapter 2. Uh, we'll pick up with verse 14. Last week, uh, we looked at um, uh, the verses leading up to this, and I'll call your attention to verse 8, which says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you, are sh- if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Uh, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it, etc. And the point was that there ought to be a connection between um, what you believe and what you do. And this went even further back to verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. As you are walking like Jesus walked, um, you need to be doing this particular thing. And the example he had was showing partiality or showing hospitality without um, preference to how people looked and so forth. That was just one example. Uh, The point being that uh, as you are living your life, it should make a difference. So we're going to explore that a little bit more uh, beginning in verse 14. Um, so just um, by way of, of overview, uh, in the first um, uh, couple verses, uh, 14 through 17, uh, we have, uh, again, this example of uh, a faith that is not, it's not an alive faith, it's, it's not uh, an adequate faith, uh, just it's empty. Uh, in verse 18 and, and following, we've got the thrust of James's argument about uh, faith and works, and uh, we'll talk about different types of faith and, and what's legitimate faith and what's not uh, proper faith. And then he's going to close with a couple of examples to support his argument. One example looking back at Abraham and one an example looking back at Rahab. So that's the kind of an, an outline there. So let's, uh, let's look at uh, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for body for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is about as clear a passage as we'll get to <laughs> in our section today. This seems to be a very straightforward, very powerful uh, statement. I think it's pretty obvious. What good is it, my brothers, if you say you have faith, but there's nothing in it? You don't have the works to do it. Can that type of faith save you? Can that type of faith save you? And he gives an example of an empty faith, of of only words faith, of words with nothing to back it up. The modern day, I think, vernacular for verse 15 where it says, um, 
if somebody's poorly clothed and doesn't have any food, um, and you, you basically would go by them and say, good luck with that. That's kind of what he's getting to. You know, you're recognizing that there's a problem, but you're not doing anything about it. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, I think it's the LifeLock company that says they're going to protect you from, like, fraud and Internet, you know, security and all that sort of stuff. And they've got this commercial where the guy's in the chair at the dentist, and um, the guy says, hey, you've got a really horrible cavity. And, and the guy says, well, are you going to fix it? He said, no, no, I'm just pointing it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you've got a really bad cavity. Well, that's almost like this, right? That, hey, you've, you look like you're hungry and look like you don't have much clothes to wear. Good luck with that. Is that saving faith? Is James' question, can that faith save him? And this is one of those kind of rhetorical questions where the obvious answer to that is, what? No. Now that you mentioned that, that um, it's, it's the kind of question that tells you what the answer is. No. Uh, that, that type of faith can't save you. And he sums it up in 17. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, hold on to that because uh, the, the issue that sometimes we struggle with, perhaps struggle too much with, is uh, we, we try to set aside, or rather set in opposition, some of the statements that Paul makes, we'll look at those, about how faith is all you need. And those are kind of put sometimes in contrast um, as if there's a contradiction between what's, what James is uh, leading up to here that basically says, no, faith isn't quite enough. And, and the tendency sometimes is to try to figure out what the differences are in those two, but I think the, the proper view of Scripture is to look at how are those things not in contradiction, but how are they similar, and, and how do they support each other rather than tear each other down, and I think you'll see that as we go through. So let's go to verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, I've read this verse a lot of times. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, i got to admit, I never really quite picked up on this. I kind of focused on this last section. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's... But the question is, who is someone? Who is this someone? The tone of it makes it sound like James is saying, this is an opponent. You know, some might say, when you use that phrasing, you know, some people say, usually you're setting up the argument that that's going to be different than what you say. Does that make sense? But it, if that's true, the argument that someone says is actually James's argument, right? Because he says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what James is trying to 
to say. He's trying to say, it's impossible for you to show me faith without without attaching some sort of work to it, right? Now, I got to tell you, I, I spent way too much commentary time <laughs> on this little verse, and, and I kind of got confused, I got to admit. One commentator came out with five different viewpoints on this one verse as to who the someone was and how it was all working out. And I'll send you my notes, anybody that's interested. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Um, but I think the, the crux of the, of the argument here is the latter part of 18, where it says, show me your faith apart from your works. Um, how do we, if you were, were in that, that place and, and somebody says, show me, show me your faith, tell me, you know, demonstrate your faith. How do you do that? Right? It's like the old uh, classic argument, can you show me the wind? Well, you can't really, right? You can show the effects of the wind. So, well, you know, it blows the leaves and it moves the trees and it, you know, lifts up trucks and tosses them around if you're in Kansas. <laughs> but you can't show somebody the wind. So, can you show me your faith apart from your works? Well, no. But you could act in such a way that it would demonstrate your faith. Or conversely, you could act in such a way that it didn't demonstrate your faith by saying, good luck with that, you that look hungry and ill-clothed. Show me your faith apart from your works. Can't do it. You can't do it. But the other side of the argument, I'll show you my faith by my works. And I think this is the crux of the thing that, that as we're walking, verse 1, as we're holding the faith in our Lord Jesus, as we profess to be Christians, it should make a difference in how we act. It should make a difference in our deeds. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So this is interesting. So now we're getting into a second type of faith, right? So we've talked about an empty faith, right? It says there's a faith that doesn't do anything. It's a, it's a, it's an, a, you might say it a dead faith, an empty faith. But this is interesting. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So there's a type of faith, a type of belief, because those terms are kind of being used interchangeably here, that the demons have. And it's true. They really do believe this. So much so that it affects them. It makes them shudder. So here we have, you might say, true faith, but it's not saving faith, right? It's not saving faith. And I think that 
this just adds to James's argument that he's leading up to what is the faith that can save you to restate the question can this faith save you from verse 14 so there's an empty faith there's this faith you know the Jews all said you know I believe in one God etc etc they had they had that acknowledgement type faith that wasn't necessarily saving verse 20 do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless faith apart from works is useless Um, he's leading into this third option that empty faith isn't saving faith this acknowledgement of who God is alone isn't enough I don't necessarily want to call it demonic faith but there's a there's a belief that's not saving faith there's something else there's something else there's a faith that is connected with works so now we have a couple of examples verse 21 was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar you said that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God so now what do we do now what do we do in verse 23 it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and this is one of the core statements that Paul had to create his whole argument that salvation is by faith alone. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's, um, if you want to go back, it's Genesis um, 15. God comes to Abram, shows him a vision, gives him the promise. Brought him outside, look to the heaven, look at the stars. So shall your offspring be, in verse 6 it says, and he believed the Lord and it, and he counted it to him as righteousness. But James says, verse 21, that it was somehow connected with what he did with Isaac on the altar, which is a number of chapters later in Genesis if you want to look at it it's a lot of time is in there I mean Abram was still Abram in chapter 15 and by the time we get to Isaac there's been a long time when nothing's happened there's been the prophecy about Sarah going to have a son finally you have a son old enough to help his dad walk up the mountain I mean years have gone by but yet James somehow puts these together. 
you see that faith was active as, along with his works and faith was completed by his works and I think the the key there is this concept of what's completed and um, uh, I guess the best way is to say um, this was when Abraham's faith was fully revealed I and mean, it was um, with the ultimate purpose was shown you might say um, let me um, quote one commentator says it pretty well talking about God's love and, and his full expression it says God's love comes to expression it reaches its intended goal when we respond to his grace with love towards others. So also Abraham's faith, James suggests, reach its, reached its intended goal when the patriarch did what God was asking him to do. So this concept of faith was completed. Um, his faith was ultimately revealed, maybe, if that makes sense. Um, it was fully um, recognized um, it was fully obvious that's 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 what the works did it was fully revealed uh, how authentic Abraham's faith was that's what it means by completed Abraham believed God it was counted him as righteousness we still believe that right we believe that that this concept of us being able to work toward our salvation is no that's not the way it goes um, uh, we don't there's no amount of effort on our part so you can't you can't get to salvation by works James is saying not that faith isn't enough but it's got to be the right kind of faith, right? And I think Paul would agree with that, right? Because when Paul is talking about faith, he's talking about transformative faith. He, they're both talking about the same type of faith. They're not talking about different types of faith. But there is a, you can, you can frame the argument to make it look like they're in op opposition when really they're not. Let's look at uh, the remainder of the chapter as we go through it. Verse 24. You see that a person... It just gets messier here, right? <laughs> Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We'll come back to that. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A person is justified by works, not by faith alone. Okay, so again, we need to look for the ways to reconcile these passages, not 
for ways to drive them apart. Um, for reference, uh, Romans 3 on into Romans 4 is where Paul is making the argument of justification by faith alone, right? Um, and here we have James saying justified by works, not by faith alone. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it sounds different. Um, one commentator, I think, had some helpful insight that when Paul is talking about works, he's talking about the law. He's talking about an unsaved person trying to do the, the law, the Mosaic law, and getting to heaven. And I think this is a real key to understanding this, that when James is talking about works, he's talking about the works of a Christian. He's talking about the works that are done by a believer. He's talking about the works that are done by someone as you hold your faith in Jesus Christ. So I think that's a key point to understand this whole passage is that James and Paul are not really using, they're using the, the word faith more similarly than you think. And they're using the word works much more differently than you think. And I think that really helped me understand this, that that when James is talking about works, he's talking about works done by a believer. So that kind of makes sense when you look at Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. These are works that were done by someone who had been converted, who had been declared righteous because he believed. The, the, the works that Rahab did were done because she had faith. And you gotta, you got to give it to Rahab. She had put my life on the line faith with very little information, right? We've got the whole revelation of God, and sometimes it's hard for people to have faith. She just had a couple of foreigners who dropped into her place unannounced and looking scruffy. I mean, she had very little faith to go on, but it was I'm going to put my life and my family's life on the line kind of faith and it wasn't her actions that made her a believer. It was the fact that she was a believer that led to the action. So I think the, one of the real keys that I picked up from this is the difference in the way that Paul uses the word works and deeds and the difference in the way James uses the word works and deeds. And that seemed to help it fall into to place for me. Um, Kind of as a side note, I will look at, we've talked about this in the past, that this concept of salvation, that there's a, there's a point in time when we are saved, but then there's this concept that we are in the process of being saved, that we are being sanctified, right? There's this process. And then, but we know we're not there yet, right? So there's this future where we will be fully saved, you know, we'll be separate from all of our craziness and badness that is still left over from the fall. Um, that 
one commentator kind of hinted at this, that there's a similar transition in this concept of belief. Um, I had not picked up on this before, but in John, he marches through the, the various stages of belief that the disciples had. And I guess I'd overlooked this, but right after he calls the disciples, and the first thing was the wedding at Cana, where he turns the water into wine, right? And he says uh, in John 2.11, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him, but we know that later some turn away, so it wasn't saving faith. It was faith, but it wasn't saving faith yet. You know, so I think that's just something else to kind of tuck in there as we as we think about this. Um, so what do we what do we do with all this? Um, the concept of being a hypocrite, we said is easily recognized by the outside world, right? We know when what a person says and what a person does is different. So in essence, what James is, is calling us is, is really Christian integrity, right? If you're, gonna, if you're gonna say that you're a Christian, it ought to show. It ought to show. Um, and when it doesn't show, I think even the world starts to question. God, ah, that doesn't seem to match. Of course, the conclusion they make is that Christianity is a false religion. The conclusion that we would make is that that person isn't saved. Um, we should have it it should it should show if we're christian i don't know how else to put it i i i came across something that was actually pretty interesting uh in uh warren wearsby's commentary he has the most extensive list of questions i've ever seen for those people who truly kind of wonder if they're saved or not i'm going to post them on the i'm going to post them uh to the website uh because it really, it, it really ultimately makes a point of, um, you know, how do you know? And the ultimate answer is, of course, well, it ought to, you ought to think differently, act differently, um, be motivated differently, be excited <laughs> differently. Um, things should affect you and differently. Um, it, sh it should make a difference. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, faith apart from works is dead. I doubt that I'm the first person to come up with this. I think people have tried to come up with with um, tons of tons of examples, but um, there are we can make assessments about things. Right? Uh, we can make assessments by how something looks. Or how something works. I use this analogy in the office all the time that sometimes we're doing tests like x-rays and stuff like that 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 show you a body part, 
right? So if you take an x-ray of a broken arm, it's gonna show a broken arm and you're gonna know, okay, that's not supposed to be like that, right? That arm's not gonna work, I can tell it's broken. It'd be analogous to seeing a car that's been totaled, you pretty much know that car's not gonna work. But on the other hand, you could take an x-ray of a hand and that wouldn't tell you anything about whether that hand can do anything. It would be the hand of a skeleton in somebody's anatomy lab. It could be a hand of someone who's had a stroke. It's just a picture. It just, it's just a hand. You could go to any used car lot and see lots of cars that aren't totaled. How do you know if they work? You got to crank it, right? So I'm thinking of the simplest little analogy and that maybe you could use, I'll toss it out there, is if I had a battery, and that battery is faith, and I've got to plug that battery in there, in here perhaps, and faith is what saves me. But it is, is it a live battery or a dead battery? I know it's a live battery if it's got the juice to, to match. I think that's kind of what James is saying, that legitimate saving faith is one that has been authenticated by the action. It's a, it's, and it's a chicken and the egg thing, I guess, in a way, which comes first. You know, we know that he's already given us three examples of faith, three examples of belief, two of which are empty and non-saving faith, and one that's a saving faith. And this saving faith is only connected with something that's alive. And I think what's alive, verse 26, the body apart from the spirit is dead. If the spirit is in there, then that's saving faith. You know, we don't even really get faith on our own. The Holy Spirit has to give it to us. So that's saving faith. That's faith that should make a difference. And aside from all the salvation talk, and it's good theology, and we ought to kind of know that, and you ought to at least be familiar if somebody tries to put those arguments against each other, you ought to kind of know that, but ultimately it's about living a life of integrity and, and, and making a difference. Uh, this whole, as Daddy said, the whole rest of the book is how's your faith made a difference? Um, we don't want to miss the point that as interesting as the theology is and sometimes as confusing as the theology is, let's not miss the point that saving faith should make a difference. Um, let me pause there and see if there's any questions I can not answer. <laughs> Anybody else struggle with this? I know. 
Seventh-day Adventists. That was the scripture that he believed in and was trying to tell all of the employees and get them to convince they had to join his church and be out in visitation and doing good deeds because their faith wasn't any good. Didn't seem to be in work. So, I think it's worth noticing, as one commentator mentioned, that when, when James and Paul are put in opposition to each other, it's almost always James that's the defendant, as if Paul was right and had the better argument. Have you noticed that? I mean, even the way I've kind of talked about it, it's kind of comes through that way. But one commentator said, and I think this is really good, he said, actually, James's arguments are closer to Jesus' arguments. So the real question is, do Paul's arguments stand up to James's? Um, in Matthew 7, it says, this is Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I'll say, I never knew you. And on in, is it Matthew 25, the, at the final judgment, it's like, did you help the people that needed help? Did you visit the people in prison that needed visiting? Did you clothe the people that needed clothing? No? I'm sorry. I don't know you. I thought that was really good insight. And we've already talked that, you know, James was very, very early, was before Paul. James, very closely connected with Jesus. And again, not that they're in opposition, but I think it's just a nice little turn of the perspective on which one we, we kind of say has the upper argument. They're complementary, of course. I don't mean to say that they're not. That's my whole point. But I think it's kind of interesting that maybe we ought to shift the weighting a little bit. Again, James was basically talking to believers. I think this was basically not so much saying, I don't think you guys are Christians, but basically saying, come on. Come on. I, yeah, I know you're probably Christians, most of you, but it better be showing. And I think that's, that's our challenge as well. Anybody else? We'll close. Father, I thank you for passages like this that we'll be wrestling with from now forever, really. But we pray that you continue to change us and that your Holy Spirit would um, uh, renew our faith in such a way that it shows and that we can live lives of integrity, um, walking in you as, as you would have us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.